0: What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. We got Jays, jumpers, Jaron Jackson Jr.,s John Morantz, Joe Johnson's, Jaw Raps, Of course, we've got Jays. We got them for days. Josh, what do
1: you doing? Does Cameron Smith use a putter that starts with a J?
0: No, <laughs> but because I'm pretty sure it's a Scotty Cameron, but. Okay. And there are no Scotty Cameron models off the top of my head that start with a j so no unfortunately not but we might just have to call it like a Jotty jammer or something just so we can throw it in yeah. there
1: you know i vehemently oppose tournaments like that mm-hmm. but even i enjoyed because the difference for me was it wasn't like he was destroying the actual golf course he just didn't miss a putt right and every single putt that there was no way he could hit, he got within you know ten feet of the hole, and then proceeded to hit the next putt. Right. Even I enjoyed that as much as I despised the ridiculously low number next to his name.
0: It's it's a it's a course that gets all of its teeth from weather at mm-hmm. this point. right. It is just not a course that scares anybody from a what it actually demands of you if it doesn't have any any weather on its back and that's the case for most courses that the open goes to at this point now granted is saint andrews on the scale the old course on the scale of really easy to really hard like just the golf course design itself like it's definitely further towards the really easy side of things and there are definitely courses in the opens rota that are more difficult but all of them to a certain extent are really banking on
1: Traditional English
0: on, weather. On the traditional English weather, <laughs> British, exactly. British, I should say. And, yeah, uh, and the the thing is, I mean, like they were talking about, like you threw a ball on the ground coming into the week and it sounded like you were bouncing it on concrete and it just didn't matter because there was no wind. Um, but still, he's absolutely spectacular at what he did. And yeah, I saw a tweet today that said, Roy McIlroy shot 66 twice. Shot a bogey-free seventy in the second round, in the final round,
1: and hit every green in regulation. I hit played. every
0: green in regulation on Sunday. Only was in one bunker the entire week and hold the bunker shot that he had, and he still lost. Um, I, I'm certainly not here on this Monday morning thinking about Rory failing to complete another major. I feel like he did everything he needed to do to to win that major, except. You know, maybe make a few more putts on Sunday, which is. uh, But if you told him that you were going to have a four shot lead tied with one other guy, and you guys were going to be four shots clear of the rest of the field, and that guy was going to stutter, and you shot 70 bogey free, and you hit all 18 greens, he'd take it a million times out of a million. Um, But on this particular day, it was Cameron Smith who bogey free 64 in the final, and a 30 on the back nine is an absolutely preposterous thing to do.
1: Never seen somebody putt like that before. Granted, I don't watch all that much golf, but I've never seen somebody putt like that.
0: It was not normal. I'll give you that. (laughs)
1: Certainly not. I'll
0: I'll give you that. Um, Welcome, Jays for Days podcast. Once again, another week where we aren't going to be talking about basketball on the Jays for Days podcast. That's okay. Above my head, you can see that there it is right there. Above my head, we're talking soccer this week. If you are here last week, uh, Josh put me through the ringer in terms of golf questions right and as i explained last week we both have sports passions outside of college basketball and sometimes in the slower portion of the calendar we like to uh, indulge on those passions uh, with the microphone on in conversations that are very similar to the ones that we have uh, without the microphones on uh, a lot of times but uh, last week it was golf if you haven't listened to that one or seen that one on the youtube channel it's there as well as in audio form, uh, wherever you get your podcast. Uh, but this week is Josh's turn. I've got ten questions for him about what's going on in the soccer world, and if, and as is the case for the golf world, it is a it is a busy time for the soccer calendar uh, with the World Cup coming up in uh, just a few months from now. Um, are you ready? Did you come? Absolutely. Prepared?
1: Did you come prepared? Let's hope so.
0: Let's hope so. Um. So uh, I've got 10 questions. I've got five of them on the World Cup and World oh, Cup my. adjacent. Okay. And I've got five on uh, non-World Cup is the category I've got here on my, <laughs> on my Google Drive. Page. Okay. Okay. All right, All right. Here we go. Number one, let's talk about the location of this year's World Cup. Um. I'm really excited about the World Cup. Really, really excited as a very much a non-soccer fan and a guy who freely admits that as someone who's tried to get more into the game, just it's just not it's just not happening. Um, I the World Cup is you know across all sports one of my favorite sporting events. Uh, it truly is spectacular. One of those things that I am absolutely locked in on when it comes around. Um, but Qatar is controversial. <laughs> to I say think the that, least. I think that's a pretty. I, I'm not exactly breaking any barriers by saying no. that. Um, why? What's wrong with it? And why? And, and like. And, and can you can you also give us an explanation of why, what needs to happen for the World Cup to end up in Qatar, because it just doesn't, it just doesn't, it doesn't make a ton of sense to me. So please tell me why it is controversial, how it ends up being played in Qatar in a place that you have to change when it's usually played just to play it there. I don't understand.
1: And still have to have all of these. I don't know what the proper term is, but basically air-conditioned fields and right. things
0: like that. Right. It seems like playing. a lot of trouble when we, you could put it somewhere far more ex- for t- yeah. far more accessible and far more ready to do it already.
1: Yeah. The first thing I would say is we need to remember first this is FIFA. Right. This okay. is also <laughs> this is the corrupt era of FIFA mm-hmm. in which you can go feed about all the things that have happened. Right. Let's just say it does not appear these World Cups were awarded in the most Mm above-board, fair manner possible. Okay. (laughs) So that's (laughs) part of it. To put it nicely. Yeah. But the bigger thing in terms of the controversy is simply the idea of bringing the biggest sporting event in the world outside of the Olympics, maybe, to a country with you know some questionable human rights situations you're hearing reports of just awful working conditions for the people building these stadiums Mm -hmm. sort of concerns about how this is actually going to play out from a cultural standpoint and like you said why do we need to be doing this Mm -hmm. and the other part of it is and and from a golf standpoint you can understand this too kind of the now, this is, this is Qatar, not Saudi Arabia, but kind of the idea of these countries using all of their money to... The, the term that people started using is sports washing, mm-hmm. which applies very much to the Live Golf Tour as it does to the PIF, the same sure. organization buying Newcastle United, or at least a stake in it. We'll, mm-hmm. We can get into that if you want. But the idea of kind of trying to present Qatar to the world... Mm-hmm there's a kind of an icky feeling about it for at least some people and including uh, that goes to players themselves who are going to be participating, who have expressed concerns. And at least I have heard, some, I guess, discussions about potentially boycotting. I don't think anybody actually is going to, but mm-hmm. kind of a, what are we, how are we going to make it clear? We don't think this is okay. And we are not, comfortable with what's happening Mm -hmm. i don't know if that's the the greatest answer because part of my philosophy is also this has happened Mm -hmm. yes this stuff is important but just continuing to dwell on it isn't going to do any good for me Mm -hmm. you know right but that it's a it's a lot of sort of the similar things with with live golf Mm -hmm. from my perspective of what buying relevancy almost right and sort of using sports to cover up some things that people aren't comfortable Mm -hmm. with and what are we do what are we saying as a collective Society by, you know, giving all of these financial benefits and this kind of status to a country with some questionable things going on that don't seem to align with a lot of the values of these countries who are going to be participating. Sure.
0: Are they going to be ready for it?
1: Yeah. I mean, they've...
0: So it it, it won't be like a... They don't have the facilities
1: and time to make it happen? Yeah, I haven't heard anything in that regard. I mean, they've had people out there multiple times Fox Sports sent a team out there obviously they're the ones with broadcast rates in the. US sure they spent they sent Alexi lawless out there with a with a group to go test these fields mm-hmm. David Beckham is a they got all kind of these ambassadors including David Beckham for this World Cup I, yeah mm-hmm. it's I don't think it certainly has not been pretty how it's gotten done but it'll it'll be done
0: last kind of question on this. Is there any conversation about how this massive ecosystem of soccer that's being created to host this place might be used for any sort of meaningful, productive way post the World Cup, kind of in the same vein as like we spend hundreds of millions of dollars to build Olympic villages, yep. and then they just kind of rot in Correct. the same way that... The places that they were built on were rotting before they
1: built yeah. it on that place. Honestly, haven't investigated it too much. Mm. There is a Qatar Stars League that is well-financed.
0: Mm.
1: In theory, that's something you could use them for. But also, I think you're going to see a lot of what you saw in Brazil. Mm-hmm. And sort of going down the list of exactly like the Olympics. That was the comparison I was going to make. Is, you don't need these massive stadiums. Right. You simply don't. Right. And if Brazil doesn't need them, you would think certainly Qatar doesn't need them either. <laughs> right. And even, I mean, a matter of months ago, I was in London's Olympic Village from, what, 2012?
0: 2012.
1: You can't tell it's an Olympic Village. Mm. It's just kind of there. This
0: is kind of there. And
1: right. West Ham uses the stadium. That was a whole thing. West Ham fans were not happy about it because it's in the middle of nowhere.
0: Mm.
1: So, yes, there's... Uh, I'm just to the point where I just expect that to be part of the World Cup experience, unfortunately. Which goes back to the question of growing the game, giving different people the opportunity to host the World Cup. I'm all for that. Also, part of me is just wondering, does it make more sense to just host it in places you know can do it with the infrastructure that exists, where it can actually be used down the line? Now, of course, that means Europe and the U.S. and some other countries here or there, you know, Japan, things like Mm -hmm. that. It's... Yeah, I I think you're going to see the same thing you saw in Brazil, which is rotting stadiums and ultimately a massive amount of money spent for very little return.
0: Mm. At least very at least very beginning and end return. Yeah, that while that month you know or so several weeks is very lucrative. That after that it's it's you you come up with you have a hard time coming up with with reasons to have it there. Uh, pretty much right after the World Cup ends. Yep. Okay, um, one team. In the World Cup, that was not in the World Cup last time. Um, inexcus- inexcusably, I might, I, I might add, uh, the, world, the the U.S. men's national team back in the World Cup. Indeed. Um, what is the What is the realistic expectation for the U.S. men's national team in this World Cup? And try to answer it uh, not completely with the group that they're in, because I'm going to ask you about their group here in just a second. Okay. Um, but what's the expectation here versus um, the team, you know, relevant to the rest of the, the teams in the field? Is this a, should there be an expectation of they should do something productive at the World Cup? Or is making it back the most important step here? Which um, is a really sad thing to like be contemplating yeah. as far as I'm concerned. But uh, where, where do you stand on this roster, this team heading to Qatar?
1: Yeah, I mean, making it was the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Expectation-wise, they should be in the knockout stage. They are one of the top 16 teams in the world anyway way you slice it. Mm-hmm. We can discuss the group at a later time if you would like. But just from a pure talent standpoint, and I was actually talking to one of my friends about this yesterday, once you get past about the top 10 teams, there are some really slim pickings there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there aren't a lot of teams that have... As weird as this kind of is to say it for the U.S., that many players playing at that high of a level in Europe, mm-hmm. from Christian Pulisic to Weston McKinney. Now you got Matt Turner as Arsenal's backup goalkeeper. You can keep going down the list, Sergio Dest at Barcelona. I mean, it is, it's is—it's not one or two guys. It is Yunus Musa at Valencia. It is most of this team is either the very, very best from MLS or guys who are playing in... In Europe and primarily in those five major leagues, which right. is also also part of this, even Luca della Torre, whose team got relegated from the Dutch first division, mm-hmm. he said, "Yeah, uh, goodbye, I'm not playing for you anymore." And now he's also playing in La Liga in Spain. Mm-hmm. Luca della Torre may or may not make the team. He's one of the favorites of people who follow this team closely because he's been spectacular during qualifying. Mm-hmm. He's not a starter. he's playing he's going to play Real Madrid and Barcelona this year right. And so it's, from a talent perspective, they're a top 15 team in the world. That means they should get out of their group because 16 teams are going to.
0: What makes you worried that they might not? I mean, not not to put an yeah. emotion in your brain, but it doesn't sound like you're completely convinced that talent. It, it, well, the history of the U.S. men's national team suggests that talent doesn't always translate to the success that it should, yeah. i.e. missing the last World Cup.
1: Yeah. It would be a combination of this is going to be the first time for a lot of these guys and the fact that, right, talent is not going to get you there alone. Mm -hmm. One of the things I have really been paying attention to the past couple years is, is this group of players demonstrating the same kind of grit and mental toughness that has become synonymous with this team and the reason why this team shows up every single World Cup they qualify for? Mm Mm-hmm. Because those teams were nowhere near as talented as this one. Right. And yet, they took a loaded Belgium team to the you know very, very, very end. You had a run to the quarterfinals in 2002. Mm. That has to be part of this equation too. Because this is not the best team in the world by any stretch of the imagination. Mm. And so seeing things like the games against Mexico where you have some poor moments specifically the Nations League final and still find a way to come back and win when people are throwing stuff at you from the stands Mm -hmm. the piece of mud they played in in Honduras during the last international window where they gave up a bad goal in a game that ultimately didn't matter all that much then went down a man and still found a way to score a goal Mm
0: -hmm.
1: when I mean just and they shouldn't have gone down a man also to be clear that was a bad red card all of that has to translate. Sure. And the other part of this is the goalkeeping situation. It looked a couple months ago like none of the goalkeepers, or at least the th- primary three that have been used, were going to be playing regularly for their clubs. That seems to have potentially changed. It seems like Zach Steffen is going to get a loan move. We'll see if that happens. But it's, it's this... This group hasn't actually done this before, mm-hmm. and this is also where qualifying for things like the Olympics come in. This group has not participated in this kind of major tournament before. Right. And the other part of it is the group,
0: and, uh, we and you can get into it. It's okay. my it's my next question. It is by uh, by average world ranking the most difficult yes. group of this Swedish World Cup group England, Iran, and Wales. The yes. other the other three teams in their group. Yeah.
1: Mm- I would argue it's probably the second toughest group, but from top to bottom one to four, it is the most balanced. Or at least there's a very strong case.
0: Because So you do not think it's the toughest group? Or no, I think it's
1: that. I think it's I think it's two. Because you're looking at this and on paper the US is the second best team in that group and it's mm-hmm. not particularly close. This is a Wales team that hasn't been there since I think it's nineteen fifty eight. I don't remember the year off the mm-hmm. top of my head, but we're talking decades from and a world
0: ranking perspective. All four teams are in the top twenty-one. Though.
1: Yes, and at least
0: from the article that I read. To be honest with you, it was yeah. back in June. I don't know how frequently yeah. those kind of things change, but I think
1: Iran might be twenty-three now. But right from a world ranking standpoint, I will tell you this is the best team mm-hmm. in the in the in the tournament, and it's also just one through four, where people may look at Iran and say that's a team the U.S. should beat and there's mm-hmm. no way they should get out of this group. And that's an Iran team that has guys scoring goals in the Champions League, has guys with Premier League experience, has guys playing in the Bundesliga. Mm-hmm. Now they're nowhere near as deep as the other teams in this group. Mm-hmm. But from a top-end perspective, they've got guys that can make a difference and they have been very, very, very good. Mm-hmm. They are they are better, way better than you would think just saying Iran national team. Sure, yeah. And so I can see them getting out of the group And then Wales, again, you expect the U.S. to take care of business there, but that's also Gareth Bale. And Mm. Gareth Bale in a Welsh jersey is a different kind of animal. Even at this point in his career, when he hasn't played basically meaningful club minutes in, I mean, he played some for Tottenham when he was on loan, but basically in five years, he's just not really played club level. It does not matter. When that man shows up for Wales, it's a different monster, and that team is getting better and better and better and better. So you look at that, and then, of course, England, who is arguably the most talented team in the world, at least has the best combination of depth and talent from Mm -hmm. my perspective. Mm -hmm. There's just no easy three points. Because if you can get the three points, you're in a really good spot to go through. Mm -hmm. It's certainly possible the U.S. gets a draw against England, beats Iran, draws Wales, and you're more than fine. Mm -hmm. But that is something I'm concerned about is there is no game I'm looking at saying that should be three points Mm -hmm. if... If it isn't something went terribly wrong, hmm. you can absolutely get a nil nil or one one against Iran. Gareth Bale does something, and all of a sudden you're in big trouble.
0: Last one on the U.S. men's team specifically. Talk to me about the timeline of this version of the U.S. men's national team. This, I mean, from where I'm sitting, it's a very young and a team that, like you just said, is playing in its first competition of this magnitude you know without you know not qualifying for for the Olympics. So this seems to be early in the early in the process of this era and being a top 16 team in the world already seems to be a pretty good place to be in terms of where we are in the progression of this version of the team.
1: Yeah, it's fascinating because really this is all building up to 2026 mm-hmm. from a a roster standpoint. That is when We're going to get there in a second. Poissik, McKinney, Adams, Musa, Hopefully somebody at the striker position. Mm-hmm. The goalkeepers will still be around. Serginho Dest, Anthony Robinson. All these guys are going to be in their primes mm-hmm. with five plus years of experience in Europe by the time you get to 2026. Mm-hmm. They also have to be talented enough that they can really do some damage at this World Cup if it goes right. Mm-hmm. They are absolutely capable of getting to the quarterfinals or semifinals. I'm not picking them to... They will have to pull an upset or two to get there. But it is fascinating, and that's what I love... About sort of the way this laid out is, you get the experience here with. I, I almost hesitate to say no expectations, but for me there really aren't that many. Other than they should get out of the group because they're that talented, mm-hmm. and if they don't, you very well may see a managerial change. Mm-hmm. But it's the idea of people are just thrilled to have you back in the World Cup first because you missed it in 2018. Right. None of the most of these guys haven't been there before. And you know you've got one at home coming up. Mm-hmm. So really, this is just a trial run to make sure they're ready to go for 2026 when this team is going to be at its peak because it is nowhere near it. The other side to this is you can talk about young talent all you want. It needs to actually improve over those next four right. years to get to a point where they're from a top 16 team to a top 10, top 5 team mm-hmm. where you feel like they have a real shot to win it when it is in the U.S. in 2026.
0: We talk about in, in this country a lot – about windows and kind of looking at it's part of the reason why i'm so excited about the grizzlies because i don't think there are very many teams that are operating in the same window as the grizzlies Mm -hmm. because of how fast their ascension is we're all of a sudden kind of in a spot where i feel like in like four years the grizzlies are the team that like Giannis, you know, five years older, no more LeBron, no more Chris Paul and Phoenix. Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant's probably, you know, he already can't play a full season anymore. So this idea of a window where the likelihood of you getting that one lucky thing you need to happen to win a, a, a championship actually happens, is does that kind of thing exist on the international soccer lover? And, and I asked that to ask, if the U.S. does progress to a place where they're top you know let's say seven team in the world when we get to 2026 is are are some of these other countries just so deep from a the best athletes in our country play soccer perspective that that's not really a thing or is there a world in which like the u.s team is the team that's peaking in their kind of era in a way that nobody else is
1: yeah, no, I, th- I think the Grizzlies are actually a great comparison in the sense that they still probably will never be the singular most talented team in the NBA. Sure. Right? They may never be the favorite. Right. But they're unless almost... Unless
0: some superstar just decides to come. Right. But I don't... You know, right.
1: There's always, there's always things that can happen. But right. the idea of... They're not supposed to be here now. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so you just get more battle-tested. You get that experience... You don't even have to go through a qualifying campaign in 2026. Granted, qualifying is going to be a piece of cake from now until forever because of the expanded World Mm -hmm. Cup. But, yeah, I think there is something to the idea of it's a window. And part of this is also the U.S. is just getting much better at developing talent. Mm -hmm. This is not going to be a one-time thing where this is, you know, we talk about golden generations is kind of the phrase that's used of you get this crop of players that pop up sometimes Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden they're just way better than the team was 10 years ago because the talent is better. This is the beginning of the U.S. being this talented or at least similarly talented moving forward Mm -hmm. because a lot of these guys are coming from MLS academies. Mm -hmm. Not all of them have actually played in them. right? But... Weston McKinney came through FC Dallas. Gio Reyna came through NYCFC. Tyler Adams came through the New York Red Bulls. Mm -hmm. You now have the Philadelphia Union contributing Brendan Aronson and his brother, who is technically better than Brendan Aronson is. And so this is not going to be a kind of a one-time thing where you have this group and then you spend the next 20 years trying to get that talent level. Right. This is an incredibly gifted group. But I fully expect this to be a thing moving forward where the U.S. is a top 20, top 15 team, at least, talent-wise. Mm-hmm. So to me, the window is more about having it at home sure. and having a team you know is capable of doing it than it is this is a, the one opportunity for this team to have a real deep run of the World Cup because we don't know when we're going to have this kind of talent again, sure. if that answers your question.
0: Yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, last one on the World Cup um the World cup's coming to the United States in twenty twenty six it is and and more specifically north north America yes in twenty twenty six um neither Canada nor the United States capitals are part of the host cities what's the and, and maybe it's just there are other places to there are better places to play soccer and there are sixteen better places to play soccer and that maybe that's just as simple as that but I don't know, it it just kind of feels like that's a logical thing to start with, that the capital of the host nation, or the host region, um, that at least one of them gets a game, even if it's not the place that the the final Mm -hmm. is played, um... Was there a reason why that neither of those places got it? And I guess more specifically, I'm asking about Washington, D.C. Yes. That, right, it was D.C. and Baltimore or Baltimore. Then it got to a point where it was D.C. and Baltimore, kind of that area, Mm -hmm. um, which gives you the Baltimore Ravens Stadium kind of at your disposal, gives you where D.C. United plays, gives you the Orioles Park and the Nationals Park in terms of like a fan fest kind of
1: thing um what why the very short answer is that this this bid was disastrous okay well
0: okay so explain to me why what makes a bid disastrous
1: it was sort of a mess from the beginning because like you've said it was supposed to be just dc Mm -hmm. except there were issues with the commander stadium so they said, okay, we're going to move it to Baltimore, mm-hmm. where the Ravens play.
0: Oh, right, the Commander Stadium, too. Yeah. Yes, that
1: was where the games were going to be. Right. That all was right. not about to happen. I promise
0: I know there's a <laughs> football team in Washington, D.C.
1: So now, all of a sudden, you're bringing the games to Baltimore. Mm-hmm. There were just... It just didn't compare to the other bids that were that were out there. the, the because it does make all the sense in the world, and people still thought until the names popped up on the screen, D.C. was going to get that spot, D.C. Baltimore was going to get that spot instead of Boston. Right. Boston is what took this spot that was supposed to be D.C. at Baltimore's. Being played at Foxborough? Yes. Part of that has to do, it sounds like, with Robert Kraft's relationships of he helped sort of steer it in that direction. Mm-hmm. I've As didn't... is the case with everything right. else, relationships. Right. But the very simple explanation is it should be in D.C. They're just – it started off bad. They couldn't fix it in time. And there are so many factors that go into a bid in terms of sort of your presentation to FIFA logistically, how it's going to work. And you look at the other spots, I am – frustrated that there's one city in anywhere close to the middle of the country and that's kansas city mm-hmm. but chicago thought it was too expensive so they backed out mm-hmm. minneapolis backed out and so all of a sudden your soccer cities that have mls teams mm-hmm. there just aren't that many that are at that level in terms of you know the biggest biggest cities in the country so that's where you get all the stuff on the coast mm-hmm. but yeah that's I honestly haven't been paying too much attention to Canada's mm. bids, but from DC, it's a failure to give FIFA what FIFA wants, mm. and also the stiff competition of all of these other cities. Then, mm. right? It's it's not like you have ten options; you've got right. twenty five. Right. So, but it is absolute it was supposed to be DC. Everybody thought it was going to be DC, Baltimore, and because you also have to have, sort of have these stadiums fit to meet FIFA regulations right, and all sure. that kind of stuff. And FIFA having regulations, lol. <laughs> And it was a it was a shocking thing, but when everybody started looking back on sort of why it was, yeah, that bid was just bad.
0: Uh, soccer and football stadiums, yay nay, or I don't care as long as you fill it.
1: I don't care as long as it's real grass. <laughs>
0: right, this is this is true. If we we might have to do this podcast. Have we done this podcast before? Where we 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 need to bring. We need to to bring to to prepare for the other. Uh, the 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 hill like your Mount Rushmore of hills <laughs> you would die. Yeah, and one of them for Josh is, and there might be several soccer ones on there. Um, yeah, see,
1: this wouldn't I don't think it'd be. We might need to make a. List. We might
0: have to make a soccer only one, but like <laughs> this idea that 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 Josh despises soccer played on turf, like like actual, unless like unless we're talking about like an indoor stadium or like, but like if there's a choice between turf and real grass. Josh will talk forever about why yep. it should be played on real grass. And
1: I am not the only person by any stretch of the And, I, and I'm sure. not surprised Yeah, no, yeah. that at all. I, it's, it's a safety concern. It makes the ball move weird. Mm-hmm. It's just not natural. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't have a... Yeah, I'm not huge into the soccer-specific stadiums. Mm-hmm. Especially for a World Cup, I am all about, let's fill these things. Yeah. Let's get the... Which well, shouldn't be an issue, right? Right, yeah. exactly. Let's go get the biggest stadiums in the country which are the football stadiums mm-hmm. let's get Foxbro, let's get sofi mm-hmm. you know you go down the list arrowhead all these stadiums are going to be played at let's get the big ones for this event yeah i i don't have an issue with the I, i'm not a it needs to be soccer specific have they
0: announced where the final will be played
1: no okay. that is going to be in the sort of planning process the next kind of thing to be decided your prediction i think it's gonna be sofi sofi to me it's going to be either new york or la just because right those are the those right. are the two cities right and why not put it in the billion dollar stadium that just toasted the super bowl and is incredible mm-hmm. <laughs> you know true. other
0: than new york being a much more central time zone location yeah especially to europe but it is what it is yeah. either way um it's also so far that place is pretty pretty freaking cool okay that concludes the world cup portion of our programming um let's move to non-world cup stuff i've got some intern, uh, some some european club stuff and some mls stuff
1: oh my okay. all right
0: um first what's what's the dynamic between the mls and european stars coming to play in major league soccer right now um how do you... because i i can i can look at this two ways and and kind of give you an idea of where i'm coming from with this um one frame uh, you, you know in one context it's awesome to see some of the biggest names the sport has ever seen at least recently come mm-hmm. and play in MLS whether it's Wayne Rooney on his way back to DC um Gareth Bale just you know joining one of the LA teams FC right
1: yeah LA FC um
0: and, you know, that's an LAFC team that I did my research. It's currently the, has the most points in the Western Conference. So a team that's also relevant. So you can look at it that way. You can also look at, look at it as the league that the stars that are, at least in some cases, like just on the twilight. Reti- of their retirement career. league. Right. Um, do you feel, is there any part of you And you can just kind of react to right the relationship between the, the you know, MLS and, and European stars. And also, is is there a part of you at all that it almost belittles the nature of the competition of Major League Soccer to suggest it's just kind of the place that old European stars go to retire eventually? Um, hopefully, kind of, I'm kind of communicating where I'm coming yeah. from here. Talk to me about this relationship between uh, these two groups, I guess, uh, right now.
1: First, I would push back on the retirement narrative because it is nowhere near as Prominent sure. as it was. Mm-hmm. It certainly was at a time you go down the list of, for, starting with David Beckham, mm-hmm. Bastions, Fine, Stiger, mm-hmm. Wayne Rooney, mm-hmm. etc. Et and to your
0: credit, you point in, I was reading from your uh, touchline talk, uh, Substack, um, uh, this idea that Wayne Rooney talked about, like, if he wanted to play for a European club, he could have. That it doesn't seem like it's necessarily the, it's either MLS or I stopped playing soccer at a, at a, top level. Yeah, so he's
1: actually coming to manage DC United. Oh, yes, he's coming to manage DC United. <laughs> but I was very yes, I was very proud. I'm just him. gonna
0: say this is <laughs> this is where my ignorance comes glaring through.
1: But he also could have played in Europe instead of coming the first time. It was a choice he made, but he was very much on the tail end of his career. Mm-hmm. So I would push back and say it's not as common as the narrative that has been presented because it used to be way more common. Okay, the league is absolutely getting away from that. And so now you have sort of the upgraded version, which is, we'll just call them the Toronto Italians. Uh, Lorenzo Insignia and Federico Bernadeschi, I think Insignia just turned 31. Okay. I don't think he's any older than that. And Bernadeschi, I believe, is 28. Both of them were on the field in the Euro final last summer. There is always going to be an appeal of playing in MLS, but mm-hmm. to me, the next step was Move away from the 35-year-olds. Let's get the guys who could still play in Europe that want to come here. Now they're paying them a ridiculous amount of money. Right. But there has been that progression. The league as a whole has moved much more into let's be a place for younger North American, South American players to develop on their way to Europe. Mm -hmm. And then you have some sprinkled in things that are interesting. Chicharito Hernandez coming to the LA Galaxy as a Mexican superstar. Mm -hmm. Carlos Vela, who again came at the back end of his prime, now is past his prime, but is still a ridiculously good player. There's also that appeal of trying to get the Mexican fan base because MLS is way behind Liga MX still. Mm -hmm. So you've got some Mexican internationals. That always kind of makes sense. Mm -hmm. Gareth Bale is coming because Gareth Bale needs to be ready for the World Cup. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: That is going to make to me, that is very simply why I don't consider this a retirement thing for right. him. And also, he hasn't, I mean, he doesn't, he didn't play Real Madrid. He just collected very, very handsome paychecks. Right. He could have played for other clubs in Europe. He did choose MLS. And yes, it's not the Gareth Beowulf old. But he is coming to get minutes because he needs to be ready for this massive moment in this country's history where he's going to be carrying them in a World Cup. Right. So you do have specific in his new teammate, Giorgio Chiellini. That one always confused me a little bit. Long-time Juventus center back, World Cup winner, Euro winner. He's just kind of chilling. He's going to play some, but right. there it is very much turning into more of an exception in sort of specific circumstances sure. than it is guys at age 35 when they're done in Europe just come to collect a paycheck, gotcha. which is making me very happy because... That that's just the week progressing, mm. is you need to get out of that. where And, for example, another guy who falls into that category is Gonzalo Liguain at Inter miami who said something to the effect of, yeah, I thought I was just going to be able to sort of chill and smoke a cigar. Mm. And uh, he hasn't been great, surprisingly. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be stunned to hear. I think he kind of had this moment where he went, oh, this league is actually pretty good. Mm. Yeah, and now you're seeing that with some of the players who are moving from MLS to Europe and the interest Europe is taking in these younger players coming through MLS. So that's what I would say to that is I'm all for the mix and there's still a value to getting the big names. I mean, you say yes to Messi or Ronaldo the minute Messi or Ronaldo want to come. Mm-hmm. I don't care what age they are. Yeah. But it is not as much of a sort of last experience Way to make money retirement league as it once was, and I think that was important for growing the global brand, sure. Where now it's becoming a thing, and so certainly there's still some European arrogance about the U.S. league, and it's not on the level of the top leagues in the world, but it is just like
0: there's some American arrogance when it comes to every other, yes, absolutely right sport that we play at a high level.
1: But it is very much change that narrative is changing, and the European players you are seeing coming, for example your Columbus crew.
0: Dude, we're going to talk about <laughs> them here in a second here.
1: Kruto Hernandez was scoring some goals in the Premier League at age, I believe he's 23.
0: He's 23, I looked this
1: yeah. morning. That guy could have done just about anything he wanted to.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He didn't just come to MLS. He came to Columbus, Ohio. Right. That is actually happening now. So that's where I would I would push back on the retirement narrative and sure. say it's, it's getting to be a much healthier mix of – immense star power, more intriguing guys who are sort of at the back end of their primes, not their careers, that want to do something different. Because it is becoming a viable option. Mm-hmm. And a lot of this has to do with national teams. Right. Of, I think there was kind of a thought that, and it's still true to a certain extent, that if you're playing at the, the very best countries in the world, from a national team perspective, good luck trying to get on them if you're playing in MLS. Mm. That's a barrier that still needs to be overcome. But I think guys are starting to feel more comfortable, particularly what Toronto is doing, I mean, those guys are going to be part of the Italian picture moving forward. Mm -hmm. Or you just lost two players who have been regular contributors to your national team simply because they're playing in a different league. So getting those kind of players is incredibly important.
0: Let's do an MLS check-in. All right. An MLS temperature. Um, Shouts to your union. It's quite something. And... So they're, they're, from a points perspective, and that's, yeah. my, that's my first question here. From a points perspective, the best team in the East is Philly, yeah. and the best team in the West is LAFC. Is that the correct picture that is being painted?
1: LAFC, yes.
0: Is that the best team in soccer, in MLS this year? Yes.
1: Unless Gareth Bale and Chiellini do something to take them down a peg, which I don't see happening just because they don't need either of them, and they're not going to use all, both of them every single game for 90 minutes. Right. Particularly when it comes to playing on turf, right? They might just <laughs> not. I'm not, and that's not just me. That's a, they legitimately might just not play in those games uh, for that very reason mm. that it's an injury concern, right? Because you saw Zlatan did that. Some other guys have done that as well. Mm-hmm. Unless that goes horribly wrong, they're absolutely the best team in the league. I mean, they have a guy in Chicho Harango scoring a goal every other game, pretty much, and they're trying to replace him with another designated player who they can spend even more money on to go pair with Carlos Vela, and Gareth Bale. It's quite terrifying. So yes, in the East... That seems talented. Yes. I still have some reservations about them winning MLS Cup, which we can get to if you want, but yes, they're the best team in the league. East is interesting. Uh, The Union need to stop drawing people for me to believe they're the best team in the East. But it's also interesting because it very much sounds like reigning golden boot winner... Tati Castellanos, who very well might be the best player in the league, is on his way to Spain, which means NYCFC is no longer the best team in the East either. Mm -hmm. Until they just lost their manager, they had a bad stretch, they finally started picking it up, but they're still not playing great, they're just getting wins again, Mm -hmm. and now he might leave. They are not the same team without him. So... I guess that will be my sort of cushion answer, is if Castiano stays, it's NYCFC, and mm-hmm. if he doesn't, it's the Union, but there are two teams in the West better than them, at least. Why, then why is LAFC? What, what's your uh, reservations about LAFC,
0: LAFC? Excuse me. I left. Uh, yeah, I had an extra C this, there. LACFC, <laughs> FCFC.
1: <laughs> my concern is... I'm still not convinced in their ability to problem-solve. And you'll appreciate this. Same logic that applies to NCAA tournaments applies to Mm. things like the MLS playoffs, Mm. which are just bizarre and have no logic to them whatsoever. Sound familiar, right? Sounds familiar. Do you have the best player on the field? Guys who can win a game by themselves, Mm -hmm. decide a game by themselves. And do you have multiple ways to win? I'm still not convinced LAFC have multiple ways to win that if plan A doesn't work, they can still find a way to beat you. That has been their issue in the playoffs in the past. Is Plan A just score goals? Plan A is you know, press, dominate the ball, quick transition. And it's very, you know, I made the comparison to Liverpool because they play in a similar fashion of when you have those guys running at you for 90 minutes and the incredible midfield they have, it's very hard to just keep them out of transition for 90 minutes mm-hmm. and to stop and to avoid making mistakes that lead to goals because they punish mm-hmm. you so quickly and so efficiently sure but if you can do it and it's a little bit different now because steve schrundel is in his first year as a coach particularly with bob bradley bob bradley (laughs) is one of those guys who will say we don't just need to win we need to win playing an attractive brand of soccer which involves (laughs) us having the ball Mm -hmm. all the time Mm -hmm. and passing the ball all the time very manchester Mm city-esque and as you see Manchester City still has not won a Champions League for similar reasons. When it goes bad, it goes bad real quick. Mm-hmm. I am more optimistic about this LAFC team and bringing in a guy with Gary Bale who can be a difference maker by himself, like Carlos Vaila can. But that is that is my reservation, is they have not been able to impose their will on teams in the playoffs, mm. and they have struggled as a result, collectively in their short history.
0: Okay. Um will you explain to me why no uh European club ever seems to have any money left and yet they can still spend hundreds of millions of dollars on stars? Will you explain to me how this how like money just seems to appear out of nowhere in Europe?
1: Well, I will, I will try.
0: And then in general just kind of like how value is dictated on the transfer market? Sure.
1: I I'm just assuming you're talking about Barcelona.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because, like, every time I read about a. Every time I go out of my way to read about a European club, it's like they're having horrific financial issues. But, by the way, they just, like, signed Gandhi to a <laughs> four year, $3.2 trillion deal. Yeah. Like, please explain to me how this works.
1: So I'll focus specifically on Barcelona because a lot of what you've been hearing in Europe in general was pandemic related. Sure. Because. You were shut down for that time, so you weren't getting TV revenue. You weren't getting people to be able to come to your home games. Right. These teams operate on a very tight budget. Mm-hmm. Of
0: Because they, they're playing people, pay, paying people so much money? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Of,
1: we're spending as much, if not more, than we're bringing in mm-hmm. to start with. Right. And so, because you're expecting things like Champions League payouts to come in and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. And also, some of them just have ridiculous amounts of money they can... Mm-hmm. and. UEFA has not been particularly harsh or uh, dedicated to following through on financial fair play, play, which is what is supposed to be the thing that keeps you from spending more money than you have. Mm. Barcelona, uh, yeah, everybody is trying to totally understand exactly how they're able to do this. Mm -hmm. The best way I can describe it is (laughs) they have a salary cap. That is imposed by La Liga based on the amount of revenue you have, okay. And and, and uh, specifically, I think it's more about the profit you have. Sure. Of okay. if you only have this much money, you know this is what your financial situation looks like. Mm-hmm. This is how much money you can spend. I believe I could have this wrong, but I believe Barcelona's salary cap right now is something like negative three hundred million euros. Jeez. So they need to find a way. Makes me sweat. Yeah, it's, it's not great. If they were a smaller club, they would be bankrupt, Mm. probably. Mm. So basically what they're doing... But they're not a small club. (laughs) No, They are simultaneously attempting to bring in money Mm short-term and use that money to improve their team so that in theory they can make more money moving forward and Mm. trying to also cut some of their salary... So that basically they can sort of slowly build this thing back to a sustainable model. Okay. So they've done things like they just got a new sponsorship deal with Spotify. Mm -hmm. Yep. yep. mm -hmm. So that brought in a bunch of money. They also just sold some of their La Liga TV rights to, I think it's called Sixth Street, some kind of U.S. investment firm Mm -hmm. that paid them a bunch of, I mean, hundreds of millions of dollars up front. Mm -hmm to then get, I think it's 10% or something like that, of their future TV earnings. Oh, uh, okay. So they're essentially mortgaging their future to have the short-term solution so that they can get to a spot where they're allowed to spend a dollar for every one they bring in. It's a, mm-hmm. There are very complicated rules. Some people have done some deep diving on this. But basically they're trying to – they're called these <laughs> economic levers. They're trying to push all these levers that allow them to function. Mm. The concern is, if this doesn't work, they're in the same spot and have less money coming in because right. they're selling their future right. assets right. to fund this. Right, It has it's like to when work. It's like
0: putting all the chips in to win the title next year.
1: Right, exactly. <laughs> and then where do you find yourself? Because, for example, they have this midfielder— You find yourself horrible and giving all your picks to the Boston Celtics. <laughs> right. They, they got this midfielder, Frankie DeYoung. He was one of the best young players in the world. They signed him from Ajax, seemed like a perfect thing. Mm -hmm. He's very happy. He's pretty good. Some frustrations about his performance, but generally he's been very good for Mm -hmm. Barcelona. Uh, He is one of the few players on their roster they would consider moving that actually has some value. Mm. (laughs) His agent goes, yeah, he doesn't want to leave, and we're not going to have any conversations about him taking a pay cut. That's the kind of people need Barcelona, Barcelona need to mm. finance their way out of this. And he right. just said, "I'm not leaving." Yeah. Why would I? You're paying me this money. It's your fault. Yeah. Your problem, deal with it. That's the that's the situation they're in, but yes, there is a very bizarre kind of loophole way they're trying to get around this to basically keep themselves able to contend in the hope that basically just revenues keep going up mm. and so all of a sudden they can start paying off this debt. But I really don't have a good answer for you. I've been trying to understand myself. Mm. I have a basic knowledge now, but it's, it just doesn't, it's bizarre. There, It is fascinating to me just how it kind of seems that
0: you're just allowed to like not pay money when you're, asked to pay money and like from like a like in a, specifically in like european talk, it's like i feel like like every other year it's like yeah this guy hasn't paid taxes and <laughs> since Nam and but then it's okay it's not that big of a deal just like man it's fine we'll let you off with a warning and it's like yeah messi owes like 400 million dollars in taxes but it's okay it's not a big deal it's it's, strange. it's just one of those things that I don't quite yeah. understand how it works. Yeah. Um, okay, one, one question in terms of on the field in Europe, just because I'm curious. Mm-hmm. Uh, the most impactful, um, what, uh, the, the most uh, important move that a European club has made this year.
1: Ooh, most important.
0: And, and define important in the context of whatever you'd like.
1: Okay. I'll say the most important is Erling Holland. Okay. To Manchester Contact City. Please. He is six two ish okay. and wouldn't look out of place against Usain Bolt on a track. <laughs> <laughs> he, that's a that's an impressive place to be. <laughs> yes. He is something like I have never seen. He played at Red Bull. his, his dad played for Manchester City. He was born in the UK. Mm-hmm. He's Norwegian though, so he plays for the Norwegian national team. But he was eligible to play obviously for for England and chose not to. Right. So he's got the the genes of his dad, who was a long time Premier League player. He played at Red Bull Salzburg in Austria, scored a bunch of goals. Went to Borussia Dortmund in the Champions League. He scores, or sorry, in the Bundesliga, he scores a goal every Champions League game he plays in. Basically, for his career, it's a pretty solid. spot Yeah, to be he's in. he's ridiculously good. So this was always going to seem like it was going to be the summer where he was going to move. Manchester City, who didn't have a striker, got him. Mm-hmm. Kevin De Bruyne is the best passing midfielder in the world. The idea of this man running onto Kevin De Bruyne passes is mm. terrifying. Mm. And they are the one team that still hasn't been able... That made a big move this summer and hasn't been able to take that next step mm-hmm. of... As much as people talk about this game as being ruined by the money and blah, blah, blah. Uh, PSG and Cham- Manchester City still have won the Champions League. It was Real Madrid last year. Mm-hmm. They weren't the best team in the world. Mm-hmm. They got the job done, beat Manchester City and PSG along the way. So they still are trying to get over this hump.
0: Mm.
1: He might be the guy to do it. There are some concerns about how he fits into this their system and all that stuff. I just say you figure that out. This man is a, he's not human. And they haven't had a striker who's not human before. So I do think this shifts. They're the best team in the world anyway. But I do think this adds another level from a Champions League perspective and a Manchester City legacy perspective. I think he is that good and he's going to be that impactful. And we're going to sort of look back on this as the moment they went from being the best team in the world that couldn't deliver to clearly being a level above everybody else.
0: Last one. I got a couple more. Uh, And one more on on Europe adjacent. How does a World Cup being played in December impact just the schedule of... The rest of the soccer ecosystem. It's a
1: mess. They're starting in, I think there are German Cup games this month, if I remember correctly. And when are they normally? They'll start first couple weeks of August. Okay. The Premier League is starting a week and a half-ish earlier than normal. Okay. At least a week, depending on sort of the year, how it falls. Sure. Everything got moved up because of the World Cup. It's... I am
0: not. Is it, a, is it also an issue when just, is the World Cup from a scheduling perspective just a nightmare, regardless of when it is, or had it situated itself into a much more like logical well, spot? You know, right so after the right after the Champions summer, summer, Final. summer
1: is much much easier because yeah. nobody's playing. Right. So you do have this issue where basically you go from the end of the season to preparing for the World Cup to the World Cup and then
0: right back to end of the season.
1: Right. Maybe you, you, in theory you get a week or two off, and mm-hmm. teams have always sort of had this. If you're playing in the World Cup, we're going to give you a couple extended a couple weeks before you actually have to show up to right, training, sure. so that we're not running you into the ground, which right. these guys are anyway. But mm-hmm. it's, I mean, it's going to be ridiculous. You're playing pretty much if you're at a top club, weekend, midweek, weekend, almost every single week between European competition and cup competitions, and then you're going to go play in December, and then you're going to go, you know, November, December, and then you're going to go finish the season.
0: It's, and then it's not just like, "Yeah, we'll give you, we'll let you ease into the beginning of the season." It's right. Listen, we're trying to, we're trying to yep. win titles here. We're yep. trying to win run trophies. I mean,
1: England's coming back and it's Boxing Day. It's right. the biggest day on their calendar. Right. And so I mean there's going to be have to be some kind of load management mm-hmm. in there, but yeah, absolutely it's I mean, you had to do it for Qatar, mm-hmm. but it's um there is no solution. The solution is play fewer games, but you know money, so that'll play never happen. Guitar. That too, but even when you play it in the summer, you don't get time off. You know, sure. the idea. But at of... least
0: it situates itself in the place that you
1: should. Right, place. it makes life much easier from a club team perspective. Mm-hmm. Of you just kind of let guys work themselves back in the first month or so of the season, mm-hmm. and then you're good to go from there when it really matters when Champions League starts, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's a, it's a mess.
0: Last but not least, pretty high level women's soccer game happening tonight.
1: Yeah,
0: as a this is we're recording. It's two thirty one on July eighteenth tonight. Uh, the Concacaf W Championship is that the correct title? That is the correct title. Uh, the U.S. Women's Team and Canada, uh, number one and number six in the world, I believe is what I read. Sounds right. Um, first of all, um, that right there are Olympic qualifying spots up for grabs right the um CONCACAF gets two entries into it so the first one first one comes here the second one comes in the basically the third the the bronze medal game right or the silver medal game technically i suppose you
1: gotta you go to a playoff if you lose this one okay so yeah the second and third place teams play each other right for that second spot right so the only way to guarantee you you a spot in the olympics is to win this game tonight and be Concacaf champions.
0: Do what's uh, what, give me the temperature on this game in general. I am fascinated by it, and kind of where the U.S. women's team is in its you know existence. Yeah. right
1: now, I am really really excited to see what this looks like because part of the issue with Concacaf on both men's and women's sides, mm-hmm. but especially women, is there's just nobody to match up with this team mm. outside of Canada. <laughs> Mexico was supposed to be that team in their group Mm. and then Mexico proceeded to lose their first two games
0: oh so it didn't matter
1: now they played the end of the group stage against the U.S. and played very well and gave Mm. the U.S. some trouble so it was a good test in the end Mm. but that's also a team that just lost to Haiti and Jamaica
0: Mm.
1: who are getting better you know everybody's getting better but I just I can't put stock in those games in terms sure. of how this team stacks up against the very best teams in the world. Canada is one of those teams, so we're going to finally learn something mm-hmm. here. And then they were playing Costa Rica, and that just wasn't fair in the semifinals. Right. So that is that just wasn't. Fair. It just it just wasn't. <laughs> and they, you know, they didn't blow them out ten nothing or anything, but sure. it was. It's a lot of just sitting there watching them move the ball back and forth and wondering how many goals they're going to score and if they take their chances because they nobody. I mean, it's no worthy when the other team gets a shot. Mm-hmm. So that's the stakes are incredibly high in terms of automatic Olympic qualification. Now these two teams are so much better than everybody else. They mm-hmm. should both be the, they should be the two teams regardless, but you don't want to go to a playoff for this. You want to take care of business. In terms of where they are, it is very interesting because there's a lot of frustration and trepidation with the way they've played in this tournament. They've wasted a lot of chances. They are not destroying people the way they have in the past. And this is a very new crop of players where you know for example ESPN came out with a they pulled a bunch of people including U.S. women's national team Mm. coach Blacko Andonofsky a bunch of people from Europe about top 50 women's players in the world Mm. Katerina Macario is the highest ranked player on the U.S. national team you heard of Katerina Macario yeah there you go now where was she on the list six I think okay She's ridiculously good. She played at Stanford. She now plays for Lyon. She just scored in the Champions League final. And mm. she unfortunately tore her ACL, which is why she's not part of this team. Gosh. She's she's great. And then, you know, Rose Laval was on that list. Right. Lindsey Horan was on that list. Some of your your normal players. But you're looking at a, a front three in particular. Alex Morgan all of a sudden is having a terrific NWSL season that she's never had before. And is playing fairly well at the striker position. So she won that spot over Ashley Hatch, who led the NWSL in goals last year. Unfortunately, she got hurt, so now striker position is Alex Morgans for the rest of this tournament. But the, the two wings are Mal Pugh and Sophia Smith. Sophia Smith has just come out in the past couple years. Mal Pugh has been with the team for a while because she broke in as an 18-, 19-year-old. Mm-hmm. But she's, I think, 24. Mm. And you've got Andy Sullivan playing as your holding midfielder who's never had this kind of experience before because that's Julie Ertz's position. Julie Ertz is having a kid. Mm-hmm. You've got a new a couple new center backs you're bringing in. Emily Fox is, in theory, your new left back for the last decade, but she is very much getting integrated. You know, she's only I think this is year two in the NWSL for her, year mm-hmm. two or three. So it's a very, very new crop of players that just are not clicking the way the team that had been together for a decade had. It's not surprising. It's going to take some time. But it is a very interesting conversation about where do they stack up against the very best teams in the world. We're going to learn something against Canada. Obviously, this is coming on the backdrop of the Olympics where Canada won gold. Mm -hmm. And you also have, and I've been sort of captivated by the Euros that are going on right now because that's where most of your other threats are coming from. Mm -hmm. Sweden, Germany has looked really good. England, destroyed Norway 8-0 and has looked really good. Norway, Netherlands, you go down the list, you know, France has looked really good. The other great teams in the world are in Europe for the most part. Mm-hmm. To me, this is the first point where, as a U.S. fan, you need to just kind of accept this team is not head and shoulders above everybody. They might not be better than everybody. I still think they're the best team in the world. Maybe part, part of that is bias, mm-hmm. We're not going to know until next summer, mm-hmm. but this is—we are to the point where we reached a long time ago on the men's side, where when you show up for a World Cup, and I guess this will sort of be how I answer your question. It is not the U.S. should win. It is there are five to maybe ten teams who feel like they have a really good shot
0: mm-hmm.
1: reaching the semifinals and not getting, you know, like the U.S. sort of did in the the Olympics. Mm-hmm. Is not some kind of catastrophe. It's a commentary, on everybody else getting better, and this not being the best U.S. team you're going to see. Hopefully, by next summer, that's a little bit different. I'm still going to pick them to to win both tonight and the World Cup. I think they are the best team in the world, but it is they, that gap is shrinking rapidly. Where they are among the favorites, they are one of the contenders, but also are you know so are England, so are Germany. So are Sweden, who have really given the U.S. trouble mm-hmm. historically and are among the best teams in the world. You go down the list, Canada obviously is going to have something to say about it. They're, it's not like it's the end of the world or an upset every time they lose anymore. It's, well, these two teams are really close, and on that given day, Team X happened to be better than the U.S. Mm-hmm. So I am, I am trying to answer that question myself mm-hmm. and figure out, because I, I think it's a fascinating conversation. And is that
0: gap closing? Does that have more to do with the kind of changing of passing of the torch between the you uh, the the women's team that dominated the last decade, or is it more to do with other teams getting better? Or is it just a combination? I mean, of course, to it's of course it's yes. a combination of both. But which one? Right? If the if you're if they're on a scale, which way are you tipping?
1: Oh, absolutely, everybody else getting better. This is a investment in women's sports thing, you know, because you think about it and for a while, your primary teams were U.S., Brazil to a certain extent, Sweden and Norway. Mm-hmm. Germany has always been very good. Sort of countries that you associate with also doing a good job, and Brazil maybe not as much as the other ones, but of investing in women's sports sure. across the board, not just soccer, Right. You think of sort of the Nordic countries as being forerunners in that. right? And so now, England has caught up and is absolutely loaded. You're talking about eight, nine teams that felt like they could win the Euros this year that are about to, the quarterfinals are about to start. Mm -hmm. That's not something you were talking about beforehand. I mean, Norway has two of the best, at the very least, ten players in the world. Didn't get out of the group stage. It's arguably two of the best five. Didn't get out of the group stage. And so... It's it's very much, all of a sudden, you have all of these teams. And the other factor here is that Spain have really ramped things up and all of a sudden have a juggernaut of a Barcelona team that is, mm. of course, also forming the basis for the Spanish national team, sure. led by Alexia Pateas, who just won the Ballon d'Or, widely considered the best player in the world. And so, it's... And I have my... I have my thoughts on, on Spain and Barcelona and kind of where they're at, but this is very much sort of up for grabs, and it's 100 percent and now so you sort of think about it, and who are the top teams we're talking about on the specifically in Europe? Germany, England, Spain, France, Netherlands. you go, "Oh, that sounds a lot like the men's side." Yeah The country you right the countries that develop incredible soccer talent have incredible soccer cultures also have it on the women's side now too Mm. and so it's a a question of can you sort of keep up and can you keep developing players that are even better than theirs because it's it's real tight (laughs) i'm enlightened that's all i got for you i appreciate
0: it that was fun this these are an absolute blast and i said this on the last podcast but that is um there's few things more enjoyable than Especially like, especially in conversation, and listening to somebody talk about something that they a are a very, that are they are a passionate about and b know a lot about, right? Um, so right, we've been going for a little over an hour, and I've been captivated the entire time. So so, think
1: anything? anything? I don't think so.
0: All right. I suppose at some point we should return to basketball, right?
1: Yeah. At some point, we talked about a guest.
0: We did talk about a guest.
1: And we got to start our previews pretty soon.
0: And we got to start our previews pretty soon. So at some point, we will return to the college basketball world.
1: I will say, shameless plug, if anybody wants to Mm. check soccer content, touchlinetalk.substack.com, and also Touchline Talk on YouTube, Mm -hmm. weekly show, all kinds of video recap content.
0: Go follow, subscribe. (laughs) Thank you. Appreciate that. Right. I can't believe I forgot that the, the first time. I, it's me, too. I can't believe I didn't tee you up for it. I'm so I'm so upset with myself. But yes, Touchline Talk on it's Touchline Talk 22 on Twitter, correct? Yes, Touchline Talk 22 on Twitter, Touchline Talk on YouTube, all of those all those fun things. Touchline Talk on Substack. Um, go follow them and all of its entities. But um, yes, at some point we'll have a discussion. We'll talk about the possible return to the college basketball world. Um, but it's only July 18th. I'm not too worried about it. But yes, it, it, at some point, with the extensive nature of the preview series, we're pretty close to, to that time. But um, we will, either way, no matter what we end up talking about, we'll be back on Monday. Okay, We'll be back on Monday. Um, and whether that's in the college basketball, or maybe we'll just like dive into something else. I don't know. It'll probably be college basketball.
1: Do some engineering talk.
0: Maybe, maybe. We'll, maybe we'll just we'll just jump into crypto and the stock market. Yeah, there market. you go. Yeah, real estate. Like they are all some these philosophy. That, Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Maybe we'll start a book club. <laughs> um, we'll we'll find something to do. But uh, we'll be back uh, next week. Thank you so much, Josh. Thank you so much for and for for bringing all the soccer. Thank you for the questions. Um, Uh, And thank you for listening to this edition of the Jays for Days podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast and Apple podcast, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Jays for Days pod. um, And uh, subscribe on YouTube, as you can see in the bottom right corner there. Check it all out. Uh, We very much appreciate it. Uh, We'll be back next week. Thanks so much for listening to this edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. And we'll see you later.